0: Welcome to the first church of technical perfection. We'd allow no imperfection here. You have to be perfect in everything that you do. Fortunately, when there are little technical glitches, as you know me very well, it uh, it doesn't bother me at all. It just rolls right off of my back like water off a duck. So we're going to start uh, the sermon this morning by asking the Lord to lay my, I'm going to lay my flustered heart before the Lord, and perhaps you can lay all your flustered hearts with me, and let's ask God to break through all of the stuff that would distract us so that we can hear what he has to say. Would you join me in prayer for that? Father, thank you for meeting us. Thank you that your spirit is here. Thank you that you, <laughs> you not only tolerate our imperfection, you understand it. you came to receive that to yourself and your son, and you have redeemed it. So, God, we lay all of our imperfections before you. We, um, we pray that you would take, redeem, and bless, and use this for the good of your kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I need a little energy so you can help me out. All right, before I begin my word this morning, I want to, um, I want to just touch back on something you heard about earlier. Um, I don't think it would surprise you to hear that I believe that the church does not exist for itself. We've not been put here to talk to each other and just love each other and care for. We exist for the purpose of the world. We are here to serve the world, which is one of the reasons that we do this thing called Serve Saturday. And in the past years, it's been a really powerful experience as hundreds and hundreds of us come together and just get our hands dirty serving this community, just doing things that have nothing to do spiritual, but they're just a chance for us to say, we love you. Gig Harbor, we love you and we want to serve you in the name of Christ. I'm surprised to to tell you that, frankly, the sign-ups this this year have been lousy. And uh, and I'm not sure what that's about. I think we've had a lot of messages. We have a Saturday night service, and we're doing the story, and it's hard to keep all that stuff straight. But next Saturday is Serve Saturday. And I would love for every member of this congregation who's here to to do something, even if it's an hour or two, to say, we are going to come together as God's family, and we're going to serve our community. We're going to love them and we're going to, in love in serving them, we're going to let them know a little bit about the heart of God. For instance, we, we have one project planned over in the KP. There's a brand new church, a Presbyterian church. It's going to plant out on the KP. And we're going to take a team there on Saturday, and we're going to clean up and paint their building that they're going to use, because that next day, they're going to worship for the first time in that building. But we've got nobody signed up for that right now. So, brothers and sisters, I I know we get distracted, there's a lot going on, but I just want to ask every one of you not to look around, but to say, maybe this is something I can do, an hour, a two, three hours next week, and in so doing, let's just proclaim God's love for the Gig Harbor community, okay? So there you go. We are in a journey through the story, that's That's the grand epic of God's salvation history. It starts with Genesis all the way through Revelation. And we're looking at all of the great landmarks and the great characters and the great themes. We're looking for the scarlet thread that runs all the way through the story. And the scarlet thread, of course, is... We know that Christ actually begins to appear in the very first chapters of Scripture. This is amazing as we see glimpses of Him that remind us that all along God has intended to send His Son to redeem His people and to draw them back to Himself. So that's what we are about, and I know that you have been studious, so I want to give you a chance to be accountable. How many of you have read your chapter last week, read chapter 4 last week? Awesome, awesome. And if you didn't, grace abounds, you just pick up and keep going. Chapter 5 next week, and I would invite you to do that. Last week ended on a pretty spectacular note, if you recall. After 430 years of slavery in Egypt, God goes to Moses, this former prince of Egypt who was now uh, running for his life in the wilderness. He says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to, to let my people go. So Moses reluctantly agrees and after a lot of arm twisting, finally Pharaoh lets the people go and and two million of them are marching out of Egypt and on their way to freedom when Pharaoh changes his mind. And he sends his army running after them and 600 chariots are going to mow them down and it looks like disaster, but the Lord is not done. And he intervenes. He sets up a great pillar of cloud between the army and the people and he sends a a wind and, and, and separates the waters of the Red Sea And the people of God walk right on through. And then as they're standing on the other side and they watch as the chariots start right towards them, right through the same place they had just walked. And suddenly the the wind goes away and the water comes in over and destroys the whole of the Egyptian army. I want you to put yourself in the Hebrew sandals for just a moment as you're standing there, all two million of you, looking out over what just happened. you know, there must have been silence as they saw just water where only moments ago were thousands and thousands of soldiers bent on their destruction. There's not a sound, and all of them must have been thinking the same thing. Is it really over? Or is it really over after 400 plus years? Has God really set us free? And then, out of the silence, out of the massive silence, someone giggles. And then someone else giggles and someone shouts. And pretty soon it, it becomes contagious and that whole two million people began to have the greatest party of celebration, dancing and weeping and singing and rejoicing that the world has ever seen. There must have been a sight to behold. But hey, all good things must come to an end and, and even the revelry there must have begun to die down. And they're still standing there, still on the shores of the, of the Red Sea, and now a new question enters into every mind. Do you know what that question must have been as they stood there looking out and looking at themselves? What was the question? Now what? Now what? Okay, God, you've delivered us, and it's pretty impressive what you did. It's been pretty, pretty miraculous. But, but why? What in the world have you done this? Why has your favor been shown to us, God? What are you going to do? Well, you're going to discover the, the why here. Because when you read next week, you're going to read a passage. God actually speaks to Moses and he reaffirms the same covenant that he promised to Abraham more than 400 years ago. And this is what you're going to read. Listen to it. You yourselves have seen, God saying to Moses, you have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Help me. What is a priest? What is a priest? A teacher? What else? What's a priest's job? Represent God, to mediate between God and humanity, right? The priest should know God, the priest knows humans, and and so his job is to bring them together. So let's have an image like this here. So this side, you're going to be God, okay? You get to be God. You get to be broken, fallen humanity, all right? And the priest's job, come come here, come here. The priest's job, come here. The priest's job is to do this. He says, I want you to meet this person, okay? okay? Come here. So this is God. This is, I'm going to help you meet. This is God. Okay, come here. This is what he's doing. This is the priest's job. I want you to meet. So he's bringing humanity, bringing humanity to God. Good job, you guys. You can sit down. That is what God says I'm going to make of you a kingdom of priests. Not just a handful of you are going to be priests. The whole bunch of you are going to be priests. And your job is going to be to introduce the rest of the world. When they look to you and see what you're doing, the way you're living, you are going to introduce them to me. That is your job. That's a pretty daunting job. Remember, these people have been slaves. They're generations for 400 years. It's also a little daunting when you read what we're going to read about God this week in our reading. Because as a matter of fact, what we see about God in the, the readings from this coming week, are, they're kind of unsettling. The fact is we see a side to God. How many have peeked ahead? How many like to know what's coming? So you know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's a part of, of the story that reveals kind of something that, that unsettles us. It's even a little bit scary about God. Are we sure we want to introduce people to, the, to this God? For instance, when they're all gathered around Mount Sinai, all two million of them, God comes down on the mountain and he tells Moses, listen, I want you to be very clear about this. Do not let the people come any closer than where they are right now. Do not let the people kind of rush up onto the mountain. Because if they do, what's going to happen? They're going to die. They're going to die. If they, if they touch this mountain, when I'm down here on the mountain, they're going to die. And you say, what's going on with that, Lord? That is weird. That's scary. That's scary. I mean, didn't you call these people? Didn't you say that they're going to be your own? Didn't you redeem them? Didn't you save them out of Pharaoh's hand? And now you're saying, but keep your distance. Don't get too close to me. What's going on here? Why would God save them, set them free, renew this covenant, and then say, but stay back, stay back? I mean, I had a girlfriend like this once. (laughs) Right? Right? Some, did any of you have that kind of a, a boy, boyfriend or girlfriend? You know? Yes, come near, be, be near me. Oh no, I've changed my mind. I don't you know. Oh no, come come closer now. No, 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 I've changed my mind, just go back. Anyone ever have to live to it? It's crazy making. And there's are we looking at, at that kind of a God here? When when we come to this, we are actually touching on something that the Hebrew people have not yet learned about God. And that the American Church has all but forgotten about God. We were singing about it earlier, but I'm not sure that we really get it. And what I'm talking about is God's glory. The glory of the Lord. Say the glory of the Lord. The Hebrews had a name for it. They called it the Shekinah. Say that. That sounds like a rap singer. It's, it's a, that's a better sound, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. And what is the glory of God? What is the Shekinah glory? It is his presence. It is his presence that is so powerful, so pure, so holy, so overwhelming that you cannot bear it. We saw a, a glimpse of the Shekinah glory of God when the people were trying to escape the army and God sends down his pillar of cloud to separate the army from them. That's the glory of God. And this week when you're reading, you're going to find that, that every time Moses went into the tabernacle, do you know what the tabernacle was? That was their little portable church that they built so that Moses could meet with the Lord. And every time the Lord came down on the tabernacle, we read the Shekinah glory came down. The presence of God came down at the entrance of the tabernacle. You knew God was there. Even the story that we're reading today, the reason the mountain was dangerous was because the glory of the Lord was on that place. Now, we might say, well, that's, that's weird. Is God like, a, like this capricious deity who likes to zap people just for the fun of it? Is God like one of those little kids with a, a magnifying class that, that, that likes to burn up ants just for jollies? No, we know that's not true. We have seen the affection of God for his people, the love for God shown to Abraham, the love for God shown to Moses, the way he reached out and saved his people. The very fact that there is a chosen people is because God wanted a relationship with his world. And it began with these people. So he adores them. Even the reason... Even the, the st- in our story, the reason, as I said, that the mountain is dangerous is because a glorious God has come down to be near His people. The problem is we sinful human beings, we can't bear it. Our bodies are not created to be able to stand the glory of Almighty God. Uh, it, that may sound weird, but think of it this way. The other day I, I grabbed the handle of a, uh, a cast iron skillet that was sitting, I didn't realize, on a a red-hot burner and had been sitting there for a while. What do you think that felt like? It hurt like a big dog, and I had a bad burn, and it was awful. Now, was the skillet out to get me? Was the skillet trying to zap me? Uh, No, the skillet was doing what skillets do. Skillets get hot when they sit on... It is the nature of the skillet to get hot. The problem is my skin is not created to take that heat. God has a nature, a glorious nature. We don't think of God this way. We think of God as a cuddly grandpa. But that is the cheap, hallmark cartoon that has been created of God. Look at the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, and we discover God is not so cuddly. We re- the scriptures reveal a God who is awesome, and, and that's the only time we can really use that word and mean it. We overuse that word. The only one worthy of the word awesome is God. We find a God who is glorious, a God who is awesome. Someone to be worshipped on your face before him on the ground. Someone, sometimes the Psalms say, to be feared. And someone not to be trifled with. We have lost that sight of God. We have lost sight of the holiness, the glory, the purity, and the presence of God. So had his people, in part because they'd been in captivity for 400 years. There hadn't been a word from the Lord. So the next step for God in his plan of salvation for the world is to teach them more about himself, to reveal more of who he is to his chosen and beloved people. And so here we come to the pivotal moment, one of the pivotal moments in the story, and it happens on Mount Sinai. So I want to ask you this. What happened on Mount Sinai? Are you going to be this boring to play with today? What happened on Mount Sinai? Thank you, the Ten Commandments. You saw the movie. Some of you saw the movie. Maybe you already. All right, here's one. Maybe you don't this. How did God give the Ten Commandments to the people of God? Through Moses. Wrong. Not the first time. Any other ideas? Tablets, wrong, not the first time, that comes later. Did you know that? I'm gonna read you something I'll bet you didn't know. Listen, this is what happened just before God was ready to give the 10 commandments. Listen, the Lord said to Moses, I'm gonna to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Did you know that God came down to Sinai and he spoke the Ten Commandments to Moses so that the whole two million people, he said it loudly enough so that all the people heard God Almighty declaring, this is the way you're going to be in relationship with me going forward. Imagine that. So I want you to just think about that. You're sitting there with two million other folks and this is the scene that is described in this epic moment in the story. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Listen to this. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You shall not misuse my name, the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. These were the words of the Lord. In fact, in later traditions, they called these not the Ten Commandments. They called them the Ten Words. The Ten Words. Now, these are broken up into two parts. Tradition says that the first section was on one tablet, the second section on another. The first section are, is the first four commandments, or first four words. And this has to do with their relationship with whom? God. This is the God words. And then the last six have to do with the relationship with humanity, with each other, the the each other words. When Jesus was on the earth and someone once said to him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? Do you remember his answer? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind and strength. But he couldn't stop there, could he? He had to go on and say, Oh, but, but wait, 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 there's one more, it goes with it. The second is like it you shall love your as yourself. God, love God, love the neighbor. That's the great commandment. Jesus was summarizing the 10 words, the law, the the 10 commandments, when he said those things. So if you want to sum up how to know God, how to love God, and how to live God's way, the 10 commandments are a great start. There were some other things that were said later, but these are the foundation stones upon which the rest of the law was built. So let me ask you this. Let's see how you do it. This is a test. What's the first thing that God says in the list? Where does he begin? You shall have no other gods before me. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Wrong! That's not right. That's not the first thing that God says. Remember what he said first. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That is how he begins the ten words with the reminder that he is the God who brought them out and who delivered them. The starting point of the Ten Commandments, the starting point of the Word of God, is the reminder that God always initiates. God always goes first. And we see this from the beginning to the end. We humans are so arrogant, we think our relationship with God has to do with our initiative, with our reaching out to Him. We sing a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Isn't that great of me? I decided to follow Jesus. But the scriptures say, no, 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 no. Jesus decided to follow you. He's been chasing you down like the hound of heaven. It is God who pursues his people. It's not we who pursue him. And so our starting and one of the doctrines, the key doctrines of our reformed faith is the sovereignty of God, the initiative of God. It is not on us. It is on God. It is God who chases us down. God who seeks his people. God who saves them when they have no idea what to do. God who set them free from Egypt when they were hopeless. That's the starting point of the law, the reminder of a loving, saving, seeking God. You got that? Got that? That's important. Now, we move on. Let's take a quick look. The first word was, You will have no other gods before me. You will have no other gods before me. These words are the birth of something. Do you know what it was? Yes! Who said that? You win, Eric. Give him something. Monotheism. This was the birth of monotheism. This moment, you will have no other gods before me. Every other culture, every other world religion of the time, and up to that point, they were polytheistic. They created gods. They, they created gods all from, from all around, gods of their own liking. And finally, the Lord God says, you know what, I am the one true God. No more of this. I am God, and you will have no other gods but me. And then that leads into word number two. Therefore, don't make any idols. He's essentially saying, because I am not a touchy-feely God, that you can carve and fondle and stick in your pocket and hang from your keychain and from your rearview mirror like a good luck charm. Don't make any idols. I don't look like anything that I created. So don't worship anything that is created. I am the one true God. I don't need any idols made for me. The third is don't misuse my name. When I was in Sunday school, they used to say, this, is, this means you can't swear. You can't cuss. So, okay, God said, not cuss. Well, it's bad to cuss, but that's not what this means. It was believed at the time that if you knew the name of a God, you could control him. You could manipulate him. It was a magic incantation. So when Moses said, Lord, who shall I say sent me? God gives him his name without any fear whatsoever. Tell him Yahweh sent you. Tell him Yahweh is the one that sent you. Because he knows that he is not going to be manipulated that way. And just to be sure, he's saying, I know you think you can control all the other gods, but you may not control me. You do not misuse me. You will not take my name in vain. And you will not use me, my name, my purposes, to manipulate other people. Then comes the fourth of the God laws. And this is the strangest one. Because it was completely foreign once again. What does he say? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Can you imagine, God says, here's one of the things that I want you to do. I'm commanding you to do this. You're going to stop working. For one day out of seven, I command you to stop working. Can you imagine saying this to two million slaves? Their God not only does not demand that they work all the time, their God says, I want you to rest. Stop working once a week and just enjoy life and worship me. That's astounding. By the way, God still speaks to the slaves in our culture today and says, stop working, stop working. And boy, stop killing that kid back there while it was (laughs) going. So those are the four love God rules and then we come to 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 the six love humanity rules. Do you see what the first one is? Honor your father and mother. It's the only positive one, only one stated positively. And isn't it interesting that of all the rules you might have about relationship, he starts with family, with parents. You speak well of, speak well to, love them, respect them, honor your mother and father. He even offers a promise with that one that he doesn't promise with any other. If you do that, you're going to live a long time in the land I'm going to give you. God loves our parents and he calls us to honor our parents. And then come all the do-nots. After they won positive, then come the do-nots. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not... Speak falsely about your neighbor. It's not lie to them, which is a misunderstanding. It's not do not lie. Do not speak falsely about them. Don't scandalize. Don't misrepresent your neighbor. And finally comes the only heart commandment. Every other one, you can tell someone's doing it. You can hear someone's doing it. You can see someone's doing it. Here's the only one that no one can know about except you and God. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't be envious. Be satisfied. Be content with what you have. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Well, so that was the, that's the deal. Those are the ten words. And just imagine what that must have been like. God comes down upon the mountain. His glory appears on the mountain. There's thunder and lightning and fire. And the voice of God calls this out loudly enough that everyone hears it. What do you think was the response of the people? Well, we are told, and you'll see that, you'll read through it. In fact, you'll find it twice. He says, they said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. How long did that last? About 12 chapters. About 12 chapters. Then Moses left him, went back up on the mountain. He wanted to hang out with the Lord some more. Wanted to get some more instructions of how he was going to lead these 2 million people. And after a while, they got nervous. 40 days came and went and they thought... Maybe we were a little quick. And so they go to Aaron and say, hey, we want a backup plan. So here's all our gold. Would you turn it into a a little mini-god for us? And so he creates what? A golden calf, just like good old Egypt. golden calf. Here's what's interesting. You read the next morning, it wasn't like they were trying to set aside Yahweh. They were just hedging their bets. They just wanted to make sure that in case the Yahweh thing didn't work out, they had a backup plan. Because we read that they actually set the, the calf up, and then there was, a, there was an altar to the Lord the next morning, and they did their sacrifice, their burnt offerings to the Lord. So just covering all the bases, kind of like reading the Bible on Sunday morning, and then reading your horoscope on Monday morning, just to make sure everything is covered. Um. God was ticked and Moses was ticked. He said, you better get back down there. And so Moses goes down. He is furious. Of course, he breaks the tablets upon which the law had been transcribed. And he orders that 3,000 of the ringleaders will be killed. 3,000. And then Moses turns to the Lord because he's most afraid about that relationship. It is kind of the, some of the sweetest moment of Moses courageously interceding. In fact, he tells the people, I'm going to make atonement for you. Does that sound like a familiar scarlet thread? I'm going to go up on the mountain. I'm going to make atonement for you. And so we hear the conversation between Moses and a very ticked off God. God says, I'm so disgusted with these people. So I'll tell you what we're going to do, Moses. You go ahead, you take them, you take them into the promised land. I promised so they can have it. But here's the deal. I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. And, he, and we hear these tender... He, well, here's, here's what he said, actually. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> you ever had your mom say something like that to you? Get out of my sight or I'm going to kill you. Well, God really meant it here. I better not hang out with you guys because if they do one more thing, I'm going to wipe the whole bunch of them out. And Moses intercedes, Oh Lord, please, we cannot go on without you. How can we go on without you? And then he speaks these wonderful words. If your presence will not go up with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence will not go with us, We don't want to go another step without you. What is the point? If we're going to the promised land and you, the God of promise, are not with us, what is the point? This is the text I preached my first Sunday in Chapel Hill. If your presence will not go up with us, do not send us up from here. Not one step more. And here we see the grace of God. He says, all right. All right, Moses. For your sake, I will stay with you. They're going to pay a price. They're going, to be, they're going to be disciplined for this. But for your sake, I will stay with you. It's a wonderful, wonderful, courageous moment uh, from Moses. But, but here comes one that's even more audacious. And on the heels of that, he says something else. He, he says to God, okay, now, Lord, show me your glory. What? When you read that, you say, what in the world is he doing? He He just talked God off the cliff, man. I mean, he was about ready to zap them all, and he's talked him down. Does he really want to press his luck? But Moses said, Lord, as long as we're talking about this, would you show me your glory, this presence that's going to go with us? Show it to me right now. I thought, why? I've always wondered why in the world right then would he do that? And then it struck me yesterday, you know what? I think Moses was discouraged. Don't you? I think he was disheartened. I think when he came off the mountain and saw these people who only days before were saying everything the Lord has said we will do, these people that he, he, he led through the ten plagues, he led them through the, 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 the divided sea, He he faced down Pharaoh on their behalf. He he beat the rock and got water for them. He, He reminded them that manna was coming. Every time he turns around, he was doing something on behalf of God to save these people, to reassure these people. And yet again, they turned their backs on him. Don't you know he must have been discouraged? I think he might have been saying, listen, God, why don't you take them to the promised land and I'll just stay here, right? And so I think Moses said, God, if you're gonna have me do this, I cannot do, go another step without a glimpse of your glory. Just give me a peek of your glory. God says, Moses, my friend, he's described in your reading as the friend of God. He said, you know that you can't look into my face and live? I mean, you're not, you can't do it. But then God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. And he puts him in the cleft of a rock. And he covers him up so that he can't look at his face. And we read that God walks by and Moses peeks out and sees the back of God. Sees just his back. And we are told that because of that, just that little glimpse of God's glory, his presence, Moses' face shined like the sun. In fact, he, from that day forward, every time he met with God, he had to put a veil on because he was so shiny. He scared the heck out of the people. They didn't want to look at him. He freaked them out. So he had to wear this veil when he was talking to the people after he met with God. God deigned to show Moses his glory. And that's the story. So I've got a couple of questions for you. That was great for them, great for thousands of years ago, but surely now the Ten Commandments... That doesn't really apply. I mean, Jesus has come and so we don't need the Ten Commandments anymore. Right or wrong? Finally. (laughs) You're right! It is wrong! It is wrong. In fact, here's a glimpse that we get of the scarlet thread. Moses goes up on a mountain to receive the law from God and he shares it with the people of God. Does that sound familiar to you? That a certain prophet went up onto a mountain at the beginning of his ministry and he re-gave the law of God to his people. What do we call that? The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus retold the story of the law. Now, you might say, but, but he, what he said was, well, that was good for then, but, but not anymore. Now I'm here and you don't need to worry about that. That's not at all what he said. All you do, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it, and you'll find that Jesus reinforces every single one of the commandments. Not only does he reinforce it, not only does he say, you cannot let one jot, one tittle, one little iota pass without fulfilling it. Because whoever teaches that way, they're going to be the least in the kingdom. Not only does he not pass the law away, he says, I'm going to double down. I'm going to make it harder for you. You've heard that it says, do not murder. He's quoting the commandment. But I tell you that if you look at someone with hatred, if you have hatred in your heart for them, you have already murdered them. And so I don't want you just not to murder them. I want you to forgive them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to love your enemies. He says, yeah, you've heard not don't commit adultery. You're absolutely right. Don't do it. But But I'm telling you, it's more than just don't sleep with someone else's wife. I'm telling you, if you look at a woman who's not your wife with the intent to be lustful, you've already committed adultery. The leaders of Jesus, I assure you, the listeners to Jesus, they didn't walk out saying, wow, this is going to be easier than the old way. They walked out and said, oh my gosh, he has raised the bar. And of course, Christ says, you can't do this without me. But with me, with my spirit in you, I will transform you so that your inside and your outside will be congruent. If we think that because we follow Jesus, we're off the hook for obeying God's commands, think again. But I think there are a lot of people who think that way. Surely one of the questions this part of the story asks us is this. As a follower of Jesus, are you obeying even the most basic laws of God? The American Christian church is filled with sloppy Christians who take for granted the grace of Christ. Who disobey God's laws and they don't give it a second thought? How about you? Let's, let's run through some of them again. How do the ten words speak to you? Which of the ten words are you ignoring because you are so confident that Jesus will give you a pass on it? Is there anything in your life that is more important to Christ? Your wealth? Your family? Your reputation? Your power? Your libido? If so, you might be worshiping false gods. There's only one God. Or how about the issue of idolatry? Which are the trinkets that you are most devoted to? Is it your beautiful home? Your fancy schmancy car? How about your golf? I just thought I'd self-confess right there. (laughs) How about your Seahawks? Do we worship our Seahawks in the temple of Seahawkism? Is your patriotism an idol? Is your love of country greater than your love of Christ? I sometimes wonder. And how about the rest? Do you rest? Are you stopping your work once a week just to enjoy God, just to recharge? Or are you addicted? Do you neglect your parents? Do you mistreat your parents? Do you turn in phony receipts or cheat on your taxes? Are you cheating on your spouse? Are you using the internet to access porn or troll for dates with women who are not yours? Or are you so envious of other people that you can hardly see straight? Do you resent them for it? The sad fact is that there are plenty of people who call themselves Christians... ...but who choose not to obey the most basic laws that God gave. And when you go your own way... ...when you make your own rules... When you follow your own paths, worship your own idols, God says, fine. Go your own way, but I will not go with you. I wonder if there's anything more terrifying than the person who presumes upon the grace of God, thinking that they can live any way they want to live, and still call themselves Christians. It doesn't work that way, beloved. Faith is obedience. If you want to go your own way, the frightening, the terrifying reality is God will let you do it. But you will not like where that goes, for it leads to death. And the story of Moses gives us a glimpse of the scarlet thread of Jesus, who said to his disciples one time, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's a second and very powerful glimpse that I think we get of the scarlet thread and I offer this one to you. In Exodus, we see God descending upon a mountain and his glory is so awesome and overwhelming that people die if they come too near. 1,400 years later, God descends upon a mountain but he dies so that his people might come near. Moses said, show me your glory. And Yahweh said, oh, only a peak you cannot bear to look at me. 1,400 years later, the apostle John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Don't you want that? With Moses, don't you want to say to God, show me your glory? There are some here today who are discouraged. Some here who are worn down. Some here who cannot imagine another step forward because they're so tired and disheartened. And our prayer this day as we leave this tabernacle, surely our prayer needs to be the prayer of Moses. If your presence will not go with us. Do not send us up from here. Amen? Let us pray. God, thank you that you have given yourself to us. Thank you that you sent your Son. You came in human form so that we might behold your glory. And now it is not death to look upon you, it is life to look upon you. And not only that, that Shekinah, that spirit, that glory that once resided outside of us and was to be frightened of, now that glory resides within us. Your spirit resides within us. What kind of God is this who shares the best, the most awesome, the most powerful of what he has with his people? And so this day, Lord, once again, we say, show us your presence. Show us your glory. For if your presence will not go with us, we don't want to take one more step from this place. But we believe you will. We believe you are as good as your word. And so God, glorious God, we adore you, we welcome you, we stare into your face in wonder, and we go forth in power. For Christ's sake, amen. I want to ask our prayer team to please come forward. I want to remind us once again, just as a a sweet, gentle reminder, I would love it if hundreds of us would go out and say, there's got to be something that I can do next Saturday as part of this ministry. So go out, sign up, would you? And then for the rest of us, don't you want to receive the the glory of the Lord? One more time, so raise your hands up and and do that. The Lord bless you and The Lord bless you... Thank you. The church of absolute perfection. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be glorious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of his glorious Shekinah Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, amen. Amen.